thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Well, listen to what the Bible says in St. John Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Verse 36 says, If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I want to talk to you this morning from the theme of our new year, 2016, the year of freedom and answered prayer. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together in your house today. Thank you for allowing us to get up today, to be healthy enough and able enough to get to this place, to worship you. Father, I pray now as we look to your word that you speak to us by your spirit, from your word. God, I pray that you would anoint me to say what you'd have me to say. Teach us, God, what you want us to know today. We ask for freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold on real quick. So look at somebody and say it's hot. We need some. Is the heat on? All right. Well, if I faint, y'all pretend it was the Holy Ghost and put it online to everybody. We have fallen out at church at Abundant Life. 2016, the year of freedom and answer prayer. Every year in the month of December, I pray that God would give me a word, a theme to focus on for the entire year for the church. And if you've been around for any length of time, you've already heard me say that what I talk about to you guys is usually what I'm dealing with in my own life. As God is speaking to me, I just stand up here and share it with y'all because the Bible says that I got to have the ear of the learned before I can have the tongue of the learned. I got to let God speak to me before I can say anything to you. And I know for sure that 2016, we are going to experience new levels of freedom. That's nine people. And we're going to have answered prayer. And that's nine other people. Hallelujah. But freedom and answer, people have asked me, what are you talking about freedom? Freedom from whatever you need freedom from. And we're going to look at a lot of different things and a lot of different areas that we need freedom from over the next year. And we are going to start keeping track of answered prayer. We have been seeing miracles happen through 2015, and we have been seeing God answer prayer, and I believe 2016 is going to be our greatest year of answered prayer. Listen, I'll go ahead and give you the easy answer how I know that, because we're going to pray more. The more you pray, the more God is going to answer, and tonight at 6 p.m., we are going to start our 21 days of fasting. We're going to be in a time of consecration. We're going to be coming to the church every night except Sunday from 7 to 8 o'clock and be in prayer. No preaching, no worship. Come in. We'll have a little soft music playing in the background to cover up snoring. Listen, I tell you, it's okay to come and sleep. I'd rather you press your way here and pray for three seconds and fall asleep. God will see you. Amen. The scripture says in all your labor, there is profit and that God is not unfaithful to forget your labor of love to him. God sees everything you do. Santa doesn't see you when you're sleeping, but Jesus does. And if you want to come sleep between 7 and 8 o'clock, we'll try to play the music loud enough to cover up your snoring. Some of y'all know y'all snore loud. You know, let somebody elbow you so you don't bother everybody. But we're going to have a great time. This is always a phenomenal time. And you may not be able to make all 21 nights in a row. Very few people will. That's why I tell you all the time. We have a lot going on here. You can't be at everything. Come when you can. Pray for us when you can't. But I hope that you will come out. One, two, 21 days from now to the end of the month, we'll be fasting from 6 p.m. tonight through 6 p.m. The last night of the month, we'll be breaking that Sunday night, the 31st, with the Lord's Supper. And I want you to be involved in that. Now, you should have already picked what you're going to fast. I've been teaching you about what God responds to in fasting, what you should be fasting for. You shouldn't just fast because the church is fasting. You should fast for a specific reason. If you don't know what those reasons are, Go online, listen to the free messages. We've talked about nine different things that God has responded to biblically for fasting. Pick something that you can fast for and pick something that you'll fast from. Phone's ringing in church. That's a good thing to fast from. (laughs) Hallelujah. But it's a joke. You cannot fast from phones ringing in church. 
But the Bible says laughter is good for you like medicine, and some of y'all need some medicine. Smile, it's going to be okay. I promise you I will let you out of here today before 4 o'clock. Hey, one day we're going to stay in church longer than those Mormons. Y'all ever see those Mormons up the street? They are in church like nine hours on Sunday. They are getting it done. Let me keep moving. Pick something that you're going to fast. Some people are going to be fasting a meal. Some people are going to be fasting certain types of food. Some people are going to be fasting social media. Some people are going to be fasting different things. But listen, remember what I've taught you in the past. You cannot fast sin. I've heard people say, Pastor, uh, I'm, I'm going to fast, and then they'll label off some horrible sin. And I'm like, you can't fast that. You, you abstain from sin. You, fasting means you're stopping it to pick it back up at a later date. No, you don't, don't pick a sin to fast. If you have a sin that you want to get rid of, abstain from it. Maybe God will speak to you today in today's message. We're going to be talking a lot this year about freedom and answered prayer. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about freedom. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about answered prayer. But I believe there are people in this room who really love the Lord. Can somebody say amen? amen? I believe there are people in this room that love God so much that they are saved, that they're truly on their way to heaven. But even as saved as they are, they still have some habits, some sins, some issues that are holding them back. Do you believe that's possible? If you don't believe that, look in the mirror. You'll find who I'm talking to. Uh, things that people that really want to be and do all that God has called them to be and do, but they know they're not being that, and they're not, they know they're not doing that. It's like something's working against them. Listen, if you ever really try to serve God, you're going to find out something is working against you. We have a real enemy. But that's not the only thing. Don't always go to Flip Wilson first. Don't always go to the devil maybe do it right off the bat. The Bible says that we're tempted and drawn away by what? Our own lusts. It's our own stuff that messes up most of the time. But we do have a real enemy, and we need to find out how to be more effective. Say more. People really want to be what God wants them to be, but something's messing them up. They, they wish they could stop doing stuff, that whatever it is. And, and listen, churches always want to go to drinking and smoking. Drinking and smoking is not any worse than gossiping and backbiting. I'm glad somebody shook their head, yes. Listen, but whatever, there are people who have habits that they're doing that they want to stop doing, but they're held in bondage, whether it's overeating, whether it's your temper, you want to stop doing these things, and, and you wonder, why can't I quit this? I'll tell you why, because sin has you bound. There's a bondage factor in sin. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in our text in verse 34 of John chapter 8. Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Another translation says, is a slave of sin. Sin creates bondage. Say bondage. You don't want to be bound to sin. There are good things to be bound to, and there are bad things to be bound to. But I really believe there are saved people in this room who wish they could control their temper, wish they could break bad habits, who, who wish they could be more faithful in their Bible reading, prayer time, alone time with God, but they're still bound, and they've got strongholds in their life, and they need God to bring them freedom. I want to tell you today, God is able. God is able, but we've got to learn what the Word says because the Word always has the answer. The Bible teaches us that people are being held in slavery by the devil. Now, we live in a country that talks a lot about freedom. We, we live in a country that fought for freedom and continues to fight for freedom. We have a freedom to come to church anytime we want to. We have a freedom to carry Bibles publicly still. That may be going away soon. They're already starting to tell preachers what they can and can't say from the pulpit. I'm so excited one day, I believe if I live long enough, I'm going to get to go to jail for preaching. I went to jail for bad stuff before I was saved. I just love to go to, hey, all great preachers end up in jail sometime, right? Study the history books, you'll find out. But we live in a country that has a lot of freedom, so I think most people would not feel like they're a slave today. But I want you to know that in many ways, we are slaves if we have sins that we can't break. If we have sins that have bound us, we are operating in a modern-day slavery. Sins you can't break, emotions you can't shake, feelings you can't fake. The truth is you'd like to get better, but you don't. You want to be free, but you aren't. You, you want to be all that God wants you to be, but you know that's not happening yet. We're going to talk a lot about strongholds in 2016 because there are problems. It's, it's not always easy to be the man or the woman God wants you to be, but if you live long enough and you repeat the same mistake over and over enough, you know, a mistake could be a one-time thing. 
It could be a two-time thing. It could be a three-time thing. It can grow into a habit. It can be such a long-standing habit. It can go into a, grow into a stronghold. And then when you got strongholds, you're in trouble. When something becomes a, see, you'd rather have a pothole in your life than a stronghold in your life. And we're going to talk about how to break these strongholds in 2016. One verse many people throw out a lot. We're going to study it this year. Isaiah 10, 27 says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. And we need to find out what that really means. We don't need to just quote cliches. We need to understand the word because you can quote all the cliches you want to. I meet people everywhere I go. They find out I'm a pastor. They go right into church routine. They go right into a whole different level of speech. They start speaking Christianese. They, they want to tell me, I, I, how are you? I ask them, normal question, what's up? How are you doing? What, how, how you feel? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm just highly, God is so good to me. Hallelujah, glory to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, are you talking to me or are you talking to him right now? I'm asking you how you are doing. Oh, I'm the head and not the tail, always above and everybody. God is so good to me. But you're behind on all your bills. You're struggling. Your family's a wreck. Listen, don't quote cliches. Don't quote half-truths out of the Bible that you're not living. Find something that you can live. It's good to know what it says, but it's way better to apply it to your life. I want to talk to you about freedom this morning, but there's two things that you've got to agree with me about if you have any hope for real biblical freedom. Number one is even people who really love God can still struggle with sin. Look on the screen. Even people who really love God can still struggle with sin. I have had members of this church quit because they told me they didn't believe once you got saved that you still had to struggle with sin. And I'm thinking, well, you're a contradiction to yourself because you claim to be saved and you still sin. We've got to understand that even people who really love God can still struggle with sin. Why, why do you need to know that? Because you're never going to rise above it. The Bible says that we have the treasure of God's spirit contained in this earthly body. As long as this treasure is inside this flesh, you're still going to struggle with the flesh. It's still going to be daily. That's why Jesus said you must take up your cross daily and follow me. That's why the Bible says you got to put off the old man and put on the new man every day. Even saved people struggle with sin. Can you believe that? If you be honest with your own life, if you call yourself saved, you know that there's still a struggle. But the second thing you need to believe is that God can set you free from anything that has you bound. Say anything. That's where most people fall apart. Most people believe they don't have a problem believing that saved people struggle with sin because they believe they're saved and they know they struggle with sin. But they have a problem believing that God can set you free from anything that has you bound. Let me tell you how I've seen the enemy work. The enemy allows people to easily believe God can do it for someone else, but to highly doubt that he'd do it for them. To easily believe that God is able to fix somebody else, easily believe God is able to heal somebody else, easily believe that God's promises and miracles are available for other people, but they just start believing that lie, it's never going to happen for me. Listen, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. And we're going to learn today and throughout the rest of the year how we can have some real freedom. The only way for us to be free to truly serve God is to allow Jesus to make us free. Say make. You got to be made free. You got to be made free by God. You, you're not going to make yourself free. Only God can do what God's job is to do. Jesus said in our text, I read to you that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, if you've been around a long time, you've heard me talk about disconnects. I believe the Bible is true from cover to cover. I believe there are no mistakes in the Bible. I believe the Bible is perfect without error from front to back. But there are things in the Bible that I just don't get. There are things in the Bible that I read, and I'm like, hmm. I know it's true, but it's a disconnect in my brain because my little brain can't connect how that's really true for me because I know the truth. I know that I know the truth, but I don't have ultimate freedom. You say, oh, well, I need to go to a church that, that the pastor does. You won't find one, but you're welcome to look. I know that there is a disconnect here because Jesus is telling the truth. He said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Well, many of us do know the truth, but we are not totally free. So there's a disconnect there. There's something that's not jiving with the word. Something doesn't fit. How is it that people who know the truth 
can still be bound, still living life on a lower level than what God has for them? Well, I believe I found the answer. Say answer. And you need to listen right now, especially if you call yourself saved. If you ever really believe that you've been saved, there's a hurt in you when you sin. There, there, there's a conviction in you when you sin. The Bible says that God sent the Holy Ghost into the earth to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. When saved people sin and fall and fail and over and over and over again, there becomes a pain on the inside of us because the Spirit of God lives in us and convicts us and draws us, compels us, constrains us to want to do better, and we need to find out how to do better. Say, do better. I got the answer for you. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, it's got to be more. Say more. It's got to be more than this one verse. And this is where people get in trouble taking one verse and building doctrine on it, taking a piece of a verse and building doctrine on it. The Bible is written in context, as is most literature. you got to take it in context. Verse 32 builds on verse 31, and verse 33 built on verse 32. And I see the answer to why people that know the truth aren't free when I realize that verse 32 is an extension of verse 31. There's a qualifier in verse 31 before you can get to verse 32. Now, I've never heard anybody quote verse 31. I've heard people quote this verse my whole saved life. I've never seen a t-shirt with verse 31 on it. I've seen t-shirts with this verse on it. I've seen songs written about this verse, but I've never seen any of that on verse 31. Listen, you can't get to 32 without 31. It's, it's just like certain classes in high school or college. You cannot take algebra 2 if you failed pre-algebra. And they, and they didn't let you in Algebra 1. You're not going to take Algebra anything in college if you do bad on that basic math test. There's a prereq for verse 32 found in verse 31. There's an if and then. Now, those of you that have been at Abundant Life for a while, you know I love the words if and then. Because most of God's promises are conditional. Some promises are unconditional. They happen for everybody. But most of God's promises are conditional. If you do this, then God will do that. And I've learned in serving God that when I do the if, he always does the then. So I love seeing these if and thens. And look what Jesus said in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Verse 32 said, you shall know. Who shall know? The people in verse 31, the ones who continue in his word, the real disciples. Say real. Well, if there's real disciples, it's got to be what? Fake. You know that. That's the number one reason why lost people say they won't come to church, because of all the phonies, because all the hypocrites, because all the fakes at church. Listen, that's no reason to stay out of church. The real reason lost people don't come to church is because they don't love the Lord. How refreshing would that be? What if you went up to somebody you were trying to witness to somebody on your job, somebody at a party, somebody at a reunion, and, and you asked them, you going to church anywhere these days? And they said, no. And you're like, oh, really? And they said, no, nah, I don't go to church. I hate Jesus. I hate God. I think it's all bunk. That'd be more refreshing than somebody saying, oh, I used to be involved in church, but uh, the pastor's third niece nephew on his brother's sister's side twice removed rolled her eyes at me one time, so I quit. There's so many people out there with bogus, messed up reasons of why they're not coming to church. The bottom line is they're not coming because they don't want to love the Lord. But we've got to see that there's a way to get better. We've got to see that there are people who can truly be real. Say real. I want to be a real follower of Christ. I want to be a real Christian. If you serve God long enough, and some of you have shared with me your testimony that you've heard it, somebody's going to tell you, oh, is that how Christians act? And they're usually going to be somebody in your family, somebody close to you. Oh, is that what they're teaching you at that church down there? Oh, I thought you were supposed to be saved. Is that, is that how those saved folk living now? It, and it gets worse if you start serving in ministry because then they throw all that out the window and they, they come, oh, so I thought you were supposed to be a pastor. I'm like, I wasn't supposed to be. My check proves I'm a pastor. I mean, my, my, my 1099 at the end of the year proves that's my job. But listen, more than being a good pastor, more than being a real pastor, I just want to make sure I'm a real Christian. I want to be a real disciple. Jesus is talking about real disciples versus fake disciples. And, and the ones that he's talking to in verse 32, knowing the truth and being set free, are the ones who qualify through verse 31. Let's look at it. 
Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. All right, that's good to know. They believed on Jesus. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. These are real disciples. These are true disciples. They're the only ones who can claim promise out of verse 32. Don't walk around quoting, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't walk around believing Jesus is going to set you free from your issue. Don't walk around believing God's miracle is going to come for you if you are not a real disciple. You don't qualify for the promise. It's hilarious to me. I see people quoting um, all these verses out of Philippians that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. No, not everybody. That's a conditional promise only to people who give over and above the tithe and the offering. Paul said, because you've been such an outward blessing to me, because you've given over and above every other church in the world, God's going to meet all your needs. But we got people walking around quoting promises that they haven't paid the price for, they haven't done the prereq for. The people who know the truth, the people who can be made free, are those who continue in his word. I want everybody in this room to be free today. I want to be free not just the freedom that we have to worship, but the freedom that God has for us to walk with him. See, it's one thing to start a relationship with God. It's another thing to walk with him on a daily level. It's one thing to start a relationship with God. You, you can hopefully tell me when you got saved. I got saved on July 15, 1981. I, I hope you know when you became a Christian, but there's more to it than just when you got saved. There's a daily walk. There's a growing with him. There's a becoming who he wants you to be. Now, I believe many people in this room fit into this passage, already saved. We already believe in him. But the question is, will you continue in his word? Look at the verse. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, that saved people, if you continue in my word. When he says if, he presupposes that some will and some what? So I can be sure in this room today, there are some people now, I'm talking about just the Christians in the room. Now, that weeds out a whole bunch of people. Don't think just because you come to church you're a Christian. Sitting, sitting in a garage won't make you a car. Going to McDonald's won't make you a Big Mac, and coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, I'm talking about real saved people. There are saved people who continue in the Word, and then there are some who do not continue in the Word. And you've got to figure out which one of those people you're going to be. Most of us are the believers, say believe. The question is, are we continuers? I'm a believer, and I want to be a continuer. That ought to be your mindset. I'm a believer, and I want to continue in his word. What's up, Wayne? You're loving them Chiefs, ain't you? I see that Chiefs jacket on the back. I was thinking about you last night, man. The Chiefs had a long drought. They ended it. Y'all ought to thank God for people who hold on in spite of all odds. That's deep faith back there. Faith has become sight for the Chiefs. All right, let's get back to the message. I'm a believer. If you're a believer, say amen. Now, don't answer to this because I, I, I don't want you to say something that you don't really mean. I hope you want to be a continuer. I hope you want to be the type person who continues in his word because this is the qualifier for freedom, continuance. If you continue in my word, he supposes some will and he supposes some won't. But he says of those who do that those are the real disciples. Listen, what the world needs now is not for well, there's going to be a new president either way, but it's not for a Democrat to win office or a Republican to win office or a Tea Party independent, anybody to win office. What the world needs now is for saved people to live saved lives. If Christians would continue in the word and live like we really say we believe, the world would, fi the world would fix itself because they would want to come hear the answer. The world would get better if we really would become disciples in Deed. So the question is, are you going to continue in his word? That word continue comes from a Greek word that means to remain and to constantly be in the presence of another. Did you hear me? To constantly be in the presence of another. That's why we have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, because some people just want to give as much a Sunday as they can to the Lord. Some people want to be wound up in God all the time. That's why we have midweek Bible study. That's why we're going to have 21 nights of nightly prayer in here. Listen, we're going to continue before the Lord from 7 to 8 o'clock for the next 21 nights in a row, and I want you to come be a part of it. But even outside of our time of fasting, you need to determine, are you going to continue? It means to constantly be in his presence. Listen, you want to know how to get rid of God's presence? 
Take your mind off him. Stop praising him. Stop worshiping him. Do something that's going to make him want to turn around and leave the room. But if you really want to be a true disciple so that God can give you the freedom that the Bible talks about, then you need to decide, I'm going to be that true disciple. I'm going to be that disciple indeed. I'm going to be the person who continually stays in God's presence. That means you need to make the books you read be books that lean your heart toward God. The music you listen to, music that leans your heart toward God. The things you talk about, things that lean your heart toward God. The friends you hang around, friends that lean your heart toward God. There's a lot of stuff that we really, those of us who call ourselves saved, need to cut out of our lives. In 2016, the beginning of this year is a good time to do it. Some friends just need to go. They're not friends anyway. They just used to be friends, and you ain't let them know they don't make the cut anymore. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's what I love about baseball. Next month, pitchers and catchers will be reporting next month. Baseball's about to come back alive. And all throughout spring training, they're going to be carving that team down, just like they did the Jaguars. I think, they, you know, based on their record, they maybe let go of somebody they should have kept or found somebody they didn't have. But these teams, they carve their team. They start with a lot of people, and then some don't make the cut. Listen, I'm not saying blast them on Facebook. I'm not saying call them out and say, hey, just want to let you know you're not good enough for me to hang around. And my pastor said I need to cut you out. Listen, start living holy. They'll cut themselves out. Stop falling into their foolishness. They won't call on you anymore. Stop doing what you used to do with them, and they will figure out, oh, I don't, I, you, 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 you're, you're killing my buzz. I can't be around you anymore. But there's some things that we need to get rid of. There's some things that we've got to do to stay in God's presence. That's what it means to continue to constantly be in the presence of another. How much time have you spent with God this week? Are you going to spend time with God tomorrow? Have you already made an appointment for the next time you're going to have prayer? If you don't have a daily appointment time set with God, God's going to come out. Yeah, that's going to fall off the place. That's going to be the thing you didn't get to that day. I want to tell you again, same message I've been preaching my whole life. You need to have a daily devotion time. You need to have a daily time, same time every day, where you get up, you get alone with God, you get in his presence, you read his word, you pray, you sing to him, and you tell him that you love him. If you're not going to do that, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be continually in his presence. And if you're not continually in his presence, you can't have freedom. You can't have verse 32 without verse 31. So we've got to get to the point where we are staying in his presence because that's where the breakthrough comes. You can try every self-help program in the world. You can try every new fad product on the market to stop doing whatever it is you want to stop doing. But listen, it's not going to be as good as if God gives you the power to stop. I've known people that have struggled trying to stop things for years, and I've known people that have stopped overnight because God told them to stop and they obeyed God. Let 2016 be about obeying God. The breakthrough comes by not only being in his presence, but hear me good, staying in his presence, staying. Read the word, say your prayers, stay silent for a long time in God's presence, and maybe he'll say something to you. Maybe he'll empower you. You say, well, I've tried that before, and it didn't work. Keep trying. Do what God says. If you do the if, he will do the then. And he has promised that if you will continue to stay, not just dip in and out, and that's what's wrong with most people. That's why most people never become great at anything because they, they get in it, they get out of it. They start something, then they fall out of it, whether it's working out. See, so many people are going to go to the gym. I guess what's the day, the 10th? Oh, the gyms are emptied out already. I mean, you know what I'm saying. They, they, they were busy first four or five days of the year. New gym memberships. Uh, you know, I ain't mad at you if you did it. I hope you can cancel it and get your money back. But by about the second week, people realize, ah, it's not me. I'm not going to do it. Now, they could say, oh, man, I tried all that working out stuff. I never got any stronger. It, it just doesn't work. And they could blame that it doesn't work when the reality is they didn't work. There are a lot of people in this country, there might even be people in this room that are saying church didn't work for them. God didn't work for them. The Bible didn't work for them. Paying tithes didn't work for them. Well, listen, it's not that all those things didn't work. It's that they didn't work. You got to plan your work and work your plan. The plan always works if you work it. The problem is 
Lack of consistency is what's throwing people off. That's why some people never get better at anything, because they won't stay with it. Look at somebody and say, stay with it. That's where the freedom comes. It's the Hebrews 11:6 concept, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Let's look at it together. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, comma. Anytime you see any punctuation, pause on the punctuation. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose himself from the dead three days later, you can't please God because you don't believe the right things. you got to have faith in God. So if you have faith, you can please him. But it goes on to say, for he who comes to God, that's us, we're coming to God. Everybody needs to come to God at some point. Must do some stuff, though. He who comes to God must, what? Believe that he is, comma. So that's number one. Say one. First thing you got to do, believe that he is. Well, we all believe that he is. We wouldn't be here, except for the ones that, you know, somebody made you come today. But maybe before you leave, you'll decide to believe in him too. You must believe that God is, but not only that, there's more, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It doesn't say that he's a rewarder of those who come to church twice a month. It doesn't say he's a rewarder of those who say prayers uh, every other day. It doesn't say he's a rewarder of those who study their Bible every now and then. It doesn't say that he blesses people financially that pay tithes twice a year. It says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're right back to that same continuing. We're right back to that same constantly doing something. If you really want to be who God wants you to be, you're going to have to get real. Say, get real. You're going to have to get real with this Christianity thing, invest in your own spirituality, and make a determination that says, I'm going to get diligent about my spirituality. Listen, it's not just your spirituality. If you really want to lose weight in 20, that's one of the top three goals. I was studying on the Internet. Top three goals for every new year, <laughs> it's always lose weight. Well, I'm thinking some people ought to give up on it. Listen, I don't have a goal to lose weight in 2016. I've made peace with my fat. I'm comfortable with it. Don't bother me about it. I know where it all is. I can point it out better than you can. I'm at peace with me. That's not what I'm, but listen, if you want to lose weight in 2016, you're going to have to put in some effort. And you can't just say, hey, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat a good breakfast every morning because breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I've been hearing that all my life. I never ate breakfast in my life. That's why I'm fat. But if you decided I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to eat a good breakfast, and then you eat donuts and cake all day long after breakfast, you're not being diligent. And guess what? You're not going to lose weight. If you want to get in the gym and get stronger, if you want to make better grades, listen, if you want to make better grades in school, you can't just say, I'm going to make better grades in school. It's a new year, brand new report card, brand new uh, nine weeks. I'm going to do better in school. You can't do better just on Monday and Tuesday and slack off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It takes consistency to be great at anything. It takes diligence to be great at anything, and it takes consistency to be who God wants you to be. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm of the personal belief that most people do not believe this verse of Scripture. If I went row by row, person by person, and I just start off and I said, Deacon Henry, do you believe that this verse is true? Everybody would say, oh, Pastor, I believe the Bible. Yes, glory, hallelujah, I, yeah, amen. And they just go into their Christian speak. But if you really believe that the Bible is true, then you would have to believe that God rewards a certain group of people because it says he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, if you're not diligently seeking him, you do not believe this or you hate yourself. Let's just decide. Do you hate yourself? No. Jesus said no one ever yet hated himself. Stop, stop trying to prop your own ego up. You, you, you love yourself. and You don't hate yourself, but you just don't believe this verse enough. Maybe you believe it a little, but you don't believe it enough because it says that God will reward you if you diligently seek him. The rewards for God are certainly righteousness, peace, and joy, if nothing else, and that's enough. God can give you right standing with him. He can give you peace in your mind and joy in your heart. God wants to bless you with things, but you, me, us, we hold back the hand of God's blessing. Why? Being in and out, being up and down. I've told you before, most Christians' lives look like a roller coaster. 
if you were to draw your spirituality on a line graph, it would look like a roller coaster. Up, down, up, down. Loop-de-loop, corkscrew, down, up. Listen, God never intended for us to live lives like a roller coaster. He wants us to live lives on a straight plane. The Bible says to focus your eyes on Jesus and walk to him. Your whole life, diligently walking to him. So here's my question for you. Think about it. Don't answer it out loud. How free are you? If we're going to go on a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being totally free, how free are you? Don't overestimate your score. Because if you could do everything you say you wanted to do, you would be doing it. If you were totally free, your life would look different than it probably does. Are there things in your life that you wish you could do more of? Are there things in your life you wish you could do less of? This is what I tell every young Christian. When I disciple a young Christian, I tell them this. I tell them the same thing I tell my kids. you got to read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. But becoming all that God wants you to be is real simple if you look at it this way. Do less of the wrong stuff and do more of the right stuff. That ought to be your goal for 2016. Do less of the wrong stuff and do more of the right stuff. And if you keep doing that, your score of spirituality is going to raise, and you're going to walk in higher levels of freedom. The Bible says that God wants to transition us from glory to glory. That means there's levels. Say levels. From one level of your spirituality to another level of spirituality. Listen, it's time for you to leap forward in 2016. Stop backsliding. Stop going backwards in your spirituality and take a step forward in Christ. Go from one level of glory to a higher level of glory by believing that he will reward you if you diligently seek him. And if you ever really believe that, you will begin to be diligent in your seeking, and then you're going to walk in to a whole lot of freedom. I'm going to give you real quick, I'm going to get you out here early today, a threefold formula for freedom. Look at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. First thing you got to do is believe in Jesus. You got to believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you got trouble. Now, let me say, not just random surface head knowledge belief. Everybody believes in Jesus. Everybody believes he was a real figure in the earth. Our calendar is based on his life. Our, 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 what year we're in is based on his life. More books written about him than anybody that ever lived. Everyone has a head knowledge of believing in him, but not just believing in him with your head. Do you believe that he's the only way to heaven? He said of himself, I'm the only way to heaven. No one can come to the Father except through me. He was not politically correct. Don't buy into this politically correct, tolerant America that these people are trying to get you to think that all roads lead to heaven. And even though this person doesn't believe in Jesus, that, that may, they're going to get to heaven anyway. Look, YouTube Oprah doesn't believe in Jesus. And watch her tell that lady, that's so simple-minded, ma'am. It couldn't, you couldn't possibly believe that there's only one way to heaven. Lots of people don't believe in Jesus and are going to heaven. Let me tell you something. Oprah's wrong. But not only is Oprah wrong, people in this room are wrong that believe there's more than one way to get to heaven. When I say, do you believe in Jesus, I'm talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sin. I'm talking about believing that he rose from the dead and that we can rise from the dead too. Does anybody believe in Jesus like that? You can't even begin to be free from your sins until you believe in Jesus because the verse started, he said to those who believed on him. Then the second thing, is you got to be a real disciple. He said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciple indeed. You got to be a real disciple. It's funny because I think churches in America, because America's competitive, America thinks that bigger is always better, and bigger isn't always better. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But America is into building big churches and growing big congregations. Jesus didn't command us to grow out go out and build big churches or big congregations. He didn't even say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be becoming who God wants us to be. We're supposed to be real disciples. Well, what's a real disciple? Someone who continues in his work. Now, we got some people with lanyards on their neck, and we, we've got some titles for what they do, some people that help us with ushering, greeting, and, and different jobs around the church. What if we had badges that we handed out to people, real disciple, fake disciple? And you just had to wear that all the way through church. 
And, and we just let you pick. Bucket on the left, bucket on the right. Just pick the one that applies. And you're standing there in the middle looking. Don't say it out loud. And don't answer for the fake sitting next to you. But do you realize that if we did that honestly, most people would be wearing fake disciple badges today? Because very few people continue in his word. Very few people diligently seek him. Very few people are truly investing in their own spirituality. And I want that to change. I want it to change because God wants to bless you. God, God wants to bless you and exalt you. It says if you humble yourself before the Lord, he would lift you up. If you would humble yourself, he would honor and exalt and magnify you. God wants to give you all of the good things he has for you. The scripture says it's his good pleasure to give you everything, but we're holding him back. Why? Because we won't do what he says. It's just like any other father and child scenario. You, you, you want to take a kid out ice cream? Really, because you want some, and you're like, hey, Dad's going to take everybody ice cream. Ain't I good? Well, I'm good and hungry. But, and then they get in a fight, and they don't clean the room. You say, clean your room, I'll take everybody out to ice cream. Well, if they don't clean the room, you shouldn't take them out to ice cream. If you take them out to ice cream after they disobey you, you're not teaching them anything. You're not being a good parent. Well, God is always a good parent. God tells us to do stuff, and if we do it, he blesses us. This has been the message from the beginning, from the Old Testament to today. God said, I set before you a choice. A blessing or a curse? A blessing if you do what I tell you to do. And a curse if you disobey what I tell you to do. But you got to be a real disciple. Not just believe in Jesus, but be a real disciple if you really want to walk in freedom. Look at verse 32. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the third thing you got to do is know the truth. Know the truth. Now, I don't recommend everybody go out and learn how to speak Greek. It's difficult. It take a lot of time. But there are some benefits in knowing Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek. And we have a very reliable translation. Many different versions are reliable translations of Scripture today. But some words are hard. Say hard. Some words are difficult. If you study language, you, you'll find out, if you study how the Bible was put together, you'll find out that there's certain gaps, one of them being a language gap, because there's some words in one language that don't have a mirror in the other language. It's like when I've had translators translate for me in Spanish. I know when I've said something funky, like funky, that they can't really on the fly think of the right word to throw at the congregation. Or if I'm preaching and I say, that's going to have you all jacked up. And then they're thinking, they're trying to figure out how to say exactly what I said to get the crowd to understand what I mean. All words don't have an exact mirror. This word no can throw you off. Because if I said, does everybody in this room know who the senior pastor of this church is? If you're awake, you should be able to say probably the dude talking. Yeah, that's him. But everybody in this room does not know me. Some people in this room know me and know that I'm the senior pastor of this church. It's more than head knowledge, say more. See, if I ask how many people know that George Washington was the first president of the United States, most people would raise their hand, you know, except me and a few other conspiracy buffs. Maybe he wasn't. How do we know? Maybe there wasn't another dude that was president for three days, did something heinous. They erased his memory for all time, and they threw George in next. I don't know. But I, I, if you ask me, do you know who the first president of the United States is, I would say George Washington. I wouldn't put no money on it. I certainly wouldn't bet my eternity on it. But if you ask me, do I know Jesus, I know Jesus a whole lot different than I know who was the first president. Because this word know in the Greek is genosko, and it's the same Greek word taken from the Hebrew word in the book of Genesis where it said, and Adam knew Eve and she bare a son. Now, he didn't know her in his head to make her pregnant. All right, we got babies in the room. Y'all need them to get graphic. And let, no, it's this no that this word is talking here is intimate. Say intimate. It's an intimate knowledge. It's a connectivity knowledge. It's a oneness. It's all deep. It's all emotional. It's all in. I'm not going to get any more graphic, but that's how Adam knew Eve and got a baby out of the deal. It is an intimacy knowledge. Do you really know the truth? Well, if you don't spend any time with the truth, you can't get intimate with somebody you don't spend time with. 
You can't have deep knowledge of someone you don't spend time with, but this is the type of knowledge it's talking about when Jesus said you will know the truth. You can't be free until you know the truth, and you can't know the truth by coming to church. Coming to church can help you know the truth, but knowing someone in an intimate setting, hopefully for normal people, takes place behind closed doors with the lights off. Some of y'all like, that's your business, but I ain't going to get into it. Listen, it is a private thing. Say private. If you're ever really going to know the truth intimately, it's going to happen in your prayer closet. It's going to happen just you and God sitting down studying. I've had people ask me, what college did I go to uh, that taught me what I know about the Bible? And I've told them all the same thing. I didn't learn the majority of what I know about God from the Bible. I learned the majority of what I know about God in my prayer closet. Daily seeking him, diligently seeking him, continuing in his presence. you got to know the truth. Let me ask you this. How well, don't answer out loud, but just think about it. How well do you know the Bible? I'll give you my Chinese thing, and then I'll let you all go. When I was a young Christian in the early 80s, we had a missionary from China come, and he was smuggling Bibles into China. And I don't even know what their current situation is about Bibles right now. I still know they're smuggling Bibles into places, but... He was talking about how hungry the Christians there were for Bibles because they didn't have them. What they had were sheets of paper where everyone that lived in the house would sit down and write down every Bible verse they knew. And they built their multitude of scriptures from what they could write down on paper. And that's all they had. And when they would secretly meet with other Christians, they would trade papers and copy each other's Bible verses down so they could add to their list of Bible verses. And this missionary told us something. He challenged us that day. He said, if you had to go home, if they took all the Bibles out of America right now and you had to go home and the only Bible that you and your family could have was what you could sit down with pen and paper and write down for yourself, how much scripture could you write? And he said, go home, do it. Go home, do it. See if you can get five verses. See if you can get ten. See if you can get a hundred. See how many you can get. Now, I'm not saying you need to go home and see how many verses you can write down because that can play into pride. That can play into ego. But how much do you know the Bible? If you are not giving God time in his word, you're not really going to know it. The Bible commands us to hide his word in our heart. That's memorization. How much Bible have you committed to memory? Do you, do you live what you know? Are you continuing in what you know? Jesus said in John chapter 17, that's really where the Lord's Prayer is. A lot of people think the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven. No, that's the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not in Matthew 6. It's in John 17 where Jesus prayed to the Father, and he said in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Then he said, your word is truth. Well, he had just said a few chapters earlier that the truth is going to set you free. Well, let's just see how discerning you are. Let's check your reading comprehension. He said the truth is going to set you free. Based on what Jesus is saying right now to the Father, what's the truth? God's Word. God's Word is truth. Now, we're going, we're going, I'm going to test you, but I'm going to give you the answers up front so everybody passes. Because some of y'all never passed the test. I want you to pass this one. The answer is God's Word. All right, so say God's word. All right, so the question is, what is the truth? What is the truth if you disagree with it? What is the truth if you don't understand it? What is the truth if it goes against what mom and daddy believe? What is the truth if it goes against what Pastor Scott believes? What is the truth if you don't see it that way? It's always God's word. It's not what your first pastor taught you. It's not what your first bishop believed. It's not what mom and them believed in. It's what God's word says. Too many people can tell you what the pastor believes, what mom and them believe, but they don't know what they believe. God's word is the truth, and the truth sets you free. So ultimately, it is God's word that sets you free. But you've got to know the truth. So what is it that you have to know? To be set free. If you don't know God's word, you can quote scripture all day long and you will be a slave to sin. If you don't know God's word, you can quote scripture all day long and come to church every time the doors are open, but still be bound by sin. Because 
the scripture says the truth makes you free. His word is the truth. It's about living out this book that brings freedom. And the more you live out the book, the more freedom you have. The more you stay away from the book, the less freedom you have. You say, well, Pastor Scott, you're trying to make the book sound important. The book says for itself that God has elevated his word above his name. If you are not a person of this book, then you're shot out to begin with. If you claim Christianity, but you don't put your eyes on this book on a continual basis, then you are not going to be able to live the Christian life. It's his word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's the truth that makes people free. It's God's word that makes people free. But not just knowing it in your head, but acting out on it in a very physical, literal way. It's an intimate thing that takes action. Say action. To be free in any area of your life, you're going to need action. To overcome any sin in your life, you're going to need action. To get real freedom from any difficulty you have in your life, you're going to need action. Here's what the action is. Continuing in God's presence. You got to figure out how to do that, church. You got to figure out how to stay in God's presence. Well, well, I, I've, I've given you tools. I've given you, I've given you formulas. You, you sit down with your Bible. The Bible says that God and his word are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the Bible says, was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. You've got to sit down and continue in this book. Get a time where you put your eyes on this book. I have the same opening question to everybody who's ever come to me for counseling. It doesn't matter what the, what the problem is. Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. Pastor, my finance is in trouble. Pastor, my kids having problems. Pastor, uh, having problems on the job. Pastor, I'm, I'm depressed. Pastor, whatever. Same question I ask all the time. How many days a week are you in your word? And I get the same answer from the best Christians I know. Well, not as much as I should. People always say that because they want me to let them off the hook. But y'all know I ain't letting nobody off the hook. <laughs> well, not as much as I should. That, that, that's, that's too ambiguous. How many days out of seven? I need a number. And most people, good people, come in at three to five. Listen, if you really believe there's reward for being diligent in your seeking God, do you want a three-sevenths reward or do you want a whole reward? I don't want a one-seventh reward. I don't want a two-sevenths reward. I don't want a three-sevenths reward. I don't want a four, five, or six-sevenths reward. I want a whole reward from God. So how many days out of the week do I need to be in my word? Oh, well, you expect that out of the preacher. He better be in his word if he's doing all the preaching three times a week to the same group of folk. Listen, everybody who claims the name of Christ needs to be seven for seven. I preached a message one time titled seven for seven and said, if you'll be seven for seven with God, he'll be seven for seven with you. If you'll be seven for seven with God, if you'll be in God's presence seven out of seven days, if you'll talk to God seven out of seven days, if you'll continually seek God seven out of seven days, God will reward you seven out of seven days. I guarantee you, if you do the if, God always does the then. And God said, if we are in his word constantly, then we're his disciples indeed. God says, if we seek him diligently, then he will reward us. So you got to decide. Do you want 2016 to be a year of freedom for you? Do you want 2016 to be a year of blessing for you? Do you want 2016 to be a year where you overcome some things? Listen, I told y'all, if we could help ourselves, we wouldn't have no issues. If you could stop drinking on your own, you'd already done it. If you could stop being mean on your own, you'd already done it. We all need God's help for something. And we got to get it out of our mind that other people's sin is worse than ours. People tell me all the time, well, I ain't as bad as so-and-so. Well, all y'all going to hell together then. I hope that makes you comfortable. It's not about me. The Bible says if we compare ourselves to ourselves, then we're fools. I'm not your standard. Elder Robin is not your standard. Deacon Henry is not your standard. The standard is Jesus. Do you realize we all fall short? If you don't realize that, you ain't read much of the Bible because it constantly tells us all have sinned. It's so funny, that little dude, Kirk Cameron, that's, that, that's a courageous little dude right there. About 140 pounds soaking wet, walking up to gangbangers, trying to talk to them about the Lord. And, and, you know, none of them think that they're that bad of a person. Try to witness to somebody. Well, I never killed anybody. That's the first response I get. Uh, do you believe you're going to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I'm a good person. Well, why do you believe that? Well, I never killed anybody. 
Well, I'd ask you if you killed anybody. But Kirk Cameron gets those people, well, have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? And they're like, well, yeah. And he says, well, that's stealing. And if you stole something, that makes you a what? And then they look at him like, you calling me a thief? No, you is a thief. People don't want to admit that, that they have problems. Listen, let me say it. As, as we get ready to get out of here, we all have sins. And we've got to stop thinking that our sin list is not as egregious as someone else's sin list. Sin is sin. God holds the same standard against whoremongering as he does against gossip. If you read today's proverb already, you saw a lot of what God said about talking bad about folk. Some of y'all looking down your noses at people who still smoke and drink, but, but you're negative and bitter and backbiting and gossiping and unforgiving. You, you're no better. Too many people are trying to quantify sin as whose is good, whose is bad. Let me help you. It's all bad. Well, what are the worst sins? See, this is where, see, I was born into the Catholic Church. And I don't think everything the Church of Rome did was wrong. All the history that we have about the church we owe to the Church of Rome. I I don't have, I think too much of the modern church has what I call romophobia. They're scared of everything the Church of Rome did. Everything the Church of Rome didn't do wasn't wrong. But one thing they did greatly wrong was when they talked about mortal sins. If you're a Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. They have a list of sins uh, like sloth. I don't know how sloth, how how are you going to put sloth above murder? But anyway, they have sins that were the bad sins. I want you to get it out of your mind in 2016 that there's good sins and there's bad sins. All sins are bad. Well, how how can I help you remember that? I'm going to help you remember it this way. It was not the Romans that nailed Jesus to the cross. They might have done it physically. But he said that no one takes his life. He freely gives it. It wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus as they handed them over to the Romans to crucify him. The Bible says it was my sin and your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he bore all of our sin in his flesh. If you study the gospel accounts of what happened at the cross, Jesus is going through all this, and he's he's doing it gladly. He's doing it for the joy set before him. He's doing it because he loves the Father. He's doing it because it's what God called him to do. He's doing it willingly obeying God. But there was a point in time where on that cross he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, in his original tongue, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, The Bible says, and the entire earth went black, not dark, black, lights out, can't see. Why? Because experts tell us for the first time in the history of the world, the father could no longer look on the son. And when Jesus took on Scott Becker's sins, he became vile and ugly to the Father. He became unholy and sin sick to the Father. When your sin was placed on the life of Jesus Christ, God could no longer look on him because the Bible says God's eyes are too pure as to look on sin. And Jesus became an object that God couldn't look at. And when God turned his back on Jesus, Jesus felt such aloneness that he had never felt before because he had lived in eternity past in complete fellowship with his Father. And he felt alone for the He didn't mind the the mocking. He didn't mind the ridicule. He let them snatch his beard out. He let them smash thorns down into his head. He let them beat him until all his guts hung out. He was naked, and the Bible says you couldn't even tell if he was a man or a woman because all his flesh was stripped away from him. All that he willingly endured, but when the father turned his eyes off him, he screamed out in pain, Why? Why are you doing this to me? I did everything you asked me to do. Why? God could not look on his son because of me. Because my sin was on him. Not just a murderer's sin. I've never killed anybody. But every one of my sins was on Jesus. So stop thinking about there's good sins and there's bad sins. Because that sin caused the heartbreak between God and his son, Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says that when they went to check him to see if he was alive, they they punctured his side with a spear. And the Bible says that water ran out. Medical experts have said there's a water sack around the heart and that the heart of Jesus had been completely crushed to the point where the water leaked out before the blood came out. The heart of Jesus was broken because God was no longer there for him. The heart of the Father was broken because the Son was no longer pure. Why? Because of us. Because sin is ugly. You know how God feels about sin? He hates sin. Not just big sins, all sins. He hates sin. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your sweet little baby boy. Your sweet little baby girl. What if somebody killed your child? What if somebody killed your child? What if somebody broke in in the night and took your child, your favorite child, and they killed that child in front of you? You would have a very definite feeling when you saw that person next. You would have a feeling sitting in the courtroom as you looked on that person. Now, you might be all holy and play all Christian and say you love them and forgive them, but trust me, you would have a feeling about that person as you sat across from them in the courtroom. You would know they had done what they had done, and you would have a feeling about it. I want you to know that's how God feels about sin, every sin. Gossiping killed his son. We take all these sins so lightly as if they're no big deal. We need to realize it's what killed God's son. When God thinks about sin, he thinks about that moment where he couldn't look on his baby boy. When God thinks about sin, he thinks about that moment where his own son cried out to him, why are you forsaking me? He thinks about that moment where the whole earth went black because the disconnect between the father and son for the only time in the history of the world happened. Why? Because of my sin and your sin. And we got to get to the place where we realize all sin is heinous. All sin is egregious. All sin is horrible. All sin has consequences. We got to stop thinking that we're better than somebody else because we don't do their sin. Listen, we are all sinners. And we all need forgiveness. We need a heightened awareness of what sin costs the Father. We need a heightened awareness of what sin costs the Son. We need a heightened awareness of what sin costs us on a daily basis. We can't have freedom unless we are staying in the truth. And when we live in our sin, we break that freedom. So my last few words to you, let me ask you this. How free are you? from sin are you free from the fear of hell if you're saved you don't have to fear hell the bible says that god wrote these things to us so that we could know if you're still saying i hope i go i'm going to go to heaven when i die you need to get past hope and you need to get to knowing if you if you say well i i i sure i sure i sure think i am that you need to get past thinking you need to get to knowing the bible says god wrote these things so we could know that we have eternal life If you're saved, you don't have to have fear of hell. But what about the sin that has you bound? What about the sin that's holding you back? What about the sin that's keeping other people to see God because you're in the way? Mm, We we don't like to think about that. I told you the Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Listen, the anointing is not magic dust. It's not somebody blowing on you or waving a hand on you or throwing a jacket at you. The, The anointing is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. That's that's what his title means. It's not a feeling. It's a person. Jesus can set you free. And if you want to live the life that God intends you to live, you need to start letting some things go. Jesus wants to break some stuff off you. Jesus wants to break some sin off you, some habits, some thoughts, some mindsets, some attitudes. But it's up to you how much freedom you want to walk in. Let me tell you this. We, we could have a big altar call. We're not going to. I could drag. The majority of people would come. If I said, everybody stand up right now, and if you really want to be the man and woman God wants you to be, if you want to walk in a greater anointing, if you want to be free in 2016 to see all that God has, many people would come to the front. But by 7 o'clock tomorrow, it'd be washed off them because they didn't continue. The key is in continuing. The key is in continuing. The breakthrough comes from continuing. It's not getting all emotional. It's not having people go to a concert and get all pumped up. One good night with the Lord. That's not going to carry you through Monday. It's continuing 
Not just coming to church, continuing in his word, continuing in fellowship with him, talking to him. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's two things, life and abundant life. Life, when he said, I'm coming that they might have life, he was talking about the future. Okay, well, I thank him for that. I, I know because I have faith in him that I have eternal life. That's the future. That was only the half of what he said, the, the first half. The second half, he said that they might have life more abundantly. That's right now. I've already got the first part taken care of. I've already got eternal life. Many of you have already got the first part taken care of. You've already got life. You've already got eternal life. Heaven is your secured. You, your ticket is punched. You're paid up, prayed up, and ready to go up. But the reality is, do you have an abundant life right now? If you're struggling, that's not abundance. If you're worrying, that's not abundance. If you're fearful, that's not abundance. If, if you're just making it from day to day, that's not abundance. So many people tell me, oh, Pastor God, I'm just barely hanging on. That's not abundance. That's not what Jesus died on the cross for us to have. He died on the cross not so we could just have eternal life, but so that we could have a good life now, a life with communion with God, fellowship with God, fellowship with the people of God, the blessing of God overtaking us so everybody around us knows, I want what he's got. I want what she's got. Do you have an abundant life in Christ? Let me give you the answer. For most people, it is a resounding no. Why? Because we won't do the action. We won't do the required effort. What's the required effort? You say, well, Pastor, I thought it was about grace and not works. Salvation is about grace and not works. But deliverance is about action. Getting God to break stuff off you is about action. What's the action? Read this book every day. Well, Pastor, I don't always understand it when I read it. Neither do I. And I got degrees in it. And nobody understands all of it, but read it anyhow. Read it. Read it long enough until you find something that makes sense to you and hold on to that. Write that down on an index card. Put that on your visor. Write it on your own T-shirt. Read the Bible every day. Say your prayers every day. And make the choice that you believe would honor God the most every day. That's the only three things I have to give my children As a legacy, that's the only three things I have to give this church as a legacy. Read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Help us to continue in your word. You said that your word would set us free if we continue in it. Help us, God, to be real disciples. Disciples indeed, the kind that stay constantly in your book, in your presence, the kind that constantly talk to you. And listen to what your word has to say. God, I pray that 2016 would bring great freedom for my life personally. God, I pray that you would break things off of me that I've struggled with for so long. God, I know that the only way to let that happen is by your spirit. As I continue in your word. So God, I pray that you would strengthen me to be in your word more. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each one of us to be the type that continue. You said, if we continue, help us to be the type that do continue in your word. Every day, morning, noon, and night, every day, seven days a week. You've given us your words in this book. And we thank you, God, for your holy Bible. And I pray, Lord, that as we read and as we get to know what your word says, that you will break every yoke in our life. Deliver every bondage, heal every hurt, cover every pain. Thank you, God, for your love, for your goodness, for your blessing. Help us, Lord, to be those who continue in your word in 2016. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.